0: I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles with me again this evening and turn to the Gospel of John and chapter number 19. If you were able to uh, listen with us this morning, we are in this same text, John chapter 19, on this Good Friday. I'd like to ask us to return there uh, this evening. And if you are just uh, jumping in this evening... It's really completely up to you, but in these unusual uh, days that we're in um, during this season with the coronavirus, you, you may want to stop and go back and, and catch the message from this morning and then get to this one after. But uh, however it works for you, we trust it'll be a blessing and just help us in the entire uh, weekend of the celebrating of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When we uh, take the four gospel accounts and they are synchronized together, we discover that it was nine in the morning when Roman soldiers first nailed Jesus to the cross. And then as we communicated, raised it up to the sky and dropped it into its its hole in the ground on that hill of Calvary. And we learn that it was three in the afternoon that Jesus did as the last phrase of verse 30. Right here, John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Luke's record tells us that he he did that right after speaking for the seventh time from the cross and saying, father into thy hands i commit my spirit and the focus of our attention this evening is going to be what happened in those hours that followed the death of jesus from from three o'clock on and in particular what happened to his body between the crucifixion and the resurrection after Navy SEALs killed the terrorist mastermind Osama bin Laden on May uh, 2nd, 2011. There were appropriate steps taken, of course, to positively identify the body, but then the corpse was released out into the sea. Some say that the condition of the body was a gruesome sight and that there were fears that if the photos or the video was made public, it It might end up being a resource that would kind of solicit sympathy and end up recruiting more terrorists. There were additional concerns communicated that if the body was buried on land, that the burial location might become somewhat of a new monument to be revered by terrorists. And it seems to me that these were worthy considerations. It was probably a wise course of action to... Uh, to release the body out into the sea. But the absence of a more public display uh, has uh, given rise to multiple conspiracy theories. No matter where you land on the decision of what to do with the body of Osama bin Laden, it is obvious that, that actions taken concerning the corpse were of some significance. And I mention that this evening because what happened to the body of Jesus from the time it expired on the cross until the resurrection also had so much significance in the eyes of God that the Holy Spirit saw fit to move the Apostle John to actually go to fairly considerable lengths to tell us about the body of jesus both when it was still in the hands of his enemies that contributed his crucifixion as well as when it moved in into the care of his friends and it's verse number 31 right here in john 19 that begins to tell that story and as we learn here that the initial chain of events was was provoked by request of um, Jewish leadership that orchestrated the crucifixion they were approaching what verse 31 talks about as the Sabbath and a special Sabbath high Sabbath They were approaching that special Sabbath connected to Passover observance And they desired for uh, The bodies to be taken down before the commencement, which would have been at 6 p.m Now it was typical Uh, roman practice to leave the condemned ones on the cross as long as they might endure according to the records of the time some individuals would not expire for days and and the romans uh, would leave uh, their condemned ones in that kind of situation both to prolong the punishment but also to send an intimidating message to all observers But again, it was the Jews, verse 31, because of the Passover observance that made a special appeal, and you can see, to Pilate himself to the Romans to alter their practice on this occasion. And one means of hastening the death of one nailed to the cross was, at the end of verse 31, that their legs might be broken. It was um, to, to really smash their legs with a mallet right below the knees. The result of that would be that they could not push up and away from the cross and get a better breath. But in verses 32 and 33, when the soldiers came to carry out their task, they did break the legs of the first and of the other. But verse 33, When they came to jesus they found that he was already dead And so they did not render this crushing blow to the legs But As it were just to kind of wrap up their work we read in verse 34 That one of the soldiers took his his long sword or a lance perhaps and and thrust it up into uh, the lord's side The combination, then, is that they did not break a bone of the Lord's body, but they did pierce his body from the side right up into the chest cavity. And with those details in view, John Turns to pointing us to the significance of those events involving the Lord's body, and you can see if you look at verse thirty-seven, uh, verse thirty-six. These things were done that the Scripture might be fulfilled. <clears throat> and verse number thirty-seven starts the same way. And again, another Scripture saith. And so, verse thirty-six, his bones not being broken. Verse thirty-seven, his being pierced by that spear. Both of those are fulfilling scripture. Now, in verse 36, John cites an expression that is found in Exodus 12 and verse 46 and Numbers 9 and verse 12. If you don't have that in the margin, you want to jot that down. But what is very interesting is that in both contexts, the phrase is not referring to a man, it's actually referring to a sacrificial lamb whose bones would not be broken. But what is even more interesting is that neither of those references, I'm saying Exodus 12 and Numbers 9, neither of those are referring to the regular lamb slain on a daily basis, but they are referring to the Passover lamb itself. And when John, again years later now, looks back on this scene and he, uh, he had been an eyewitness and, and he's recalling the details of those scenes. He's actually making the connection with, uh, between those phrases and what took place in regards to Jesus. Like the Passover lamb, Jesus was a male. He certainly was without moral blemish and spot. He was offered on the Passover week in the month Nisan. He died as a substitute. And in the end, not even a bone was broken. And this detail regarding his bones was fulfilled while his body was still in the hands of I'm referring to of his enemies. And I'm saying that because it's so clear that no man, certainly not Pilate and 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 not these Roman soldiers <coughs> that are superintending, that they don't know what they're doing. They're they're not manipulating to fulfill some detail of Old Testament prophecy. But God is superintending all of this so that we might forever know that Jesus was, in fact, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And then, in verse number 37, John cites another scripture. In this case, it is Zechariah chapter 12. And again, if you don't have that, you want to you write Zechariah chapter 12 in your margin and Zechariah 12 speaks of a day, which is still yet future to us, as we understand, when the people of Israel will look on the one whom they have pierced, and when their hearts will will mourn on account of their sin, and that account goes on to talk about a fountain being opened for their cleansing in that day. This fountain has to be the same blood that was shed when the Roman soldiers pierced the side of Jesus. Verse 34, One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. This is the fountain that the songwriter spoke of when he wrote There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. There, since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. Till I die. Again, this, this piercing and this pouring out of the blood of Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy, and again was accomplished. By the hands of our Lord's enemies. What another incredible witness to the sovereign hand of God. Taking the free actions, in this case, of wicked men and the enemies of our Lord. And, and using them to point us to some of the most tre- precious truths concerning our Savior. And with those actions taken in, in regards to the body of Jesus, again, by by his persecutors now in verse number 38 john moves to a record of the body of jesus in the hands of what we're going to call his friends then what we actually have in verses 38 through 42 down the end of the chapter is we have the burial of jesus body and i always find the collection of people that attend funerals to be very interesting Depending on the degree to which I knew the individual or family involved, it's, it's always rather intriguing to try to sort out the connections between various ones that, that might have had to the departed one, and quite often someone's in attendance and had a connection that I'm just amazed to learn of. It's almost like, what are you doing here? I didn't know you knew them. And, and all those connections are typically kind of part of that scene. But when it comes to the burial of our Lord, no one gathered uh, for the occasion that we might have expected to be there. None of his family apparently were present. None of the crowds that just days before had shouted his praises in that great triumphal procession into Jerusalem, none of them were there. None of the hundreds, That the Lord had performed his miracles on were there. And none even now of the 11 closest disciples were there. One of two key figures present according to verse 38, as you can see it there, after this, Joseph of Arimathea. One of the two was Joseph of Arimathea. Matthew 27 and verse 57 tells us that Joseph was a rich man. Mark uses terminology to suggest that, uh, or that suggests that he was a prominent member of uh, the ruling body known as the Sanhedrin. Luke tells us that he was a good and a righteous man and that he had not consented to uh, the actions of that body that condemned the Lord. They, they charged him with blasphemy and condemned him to die. And, and Joseph, uh, though it was not unanimous because He did not consent. Mark and Luke tell us that this man was waiting for the kingdom of God. And that is significant because the preaching of John the Baptist and after John was put in prison of Jesus himself was that the kingdom of God had come near in the person of Jesus Christ. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, Joseph at some point had heard that preaching and he had responded on on a certain level but as this passage tells us he was still a a so-called secret disciple notice after this joseph of marathia being a disciple of jesus but secretly for fear of the jews and you could think about what he might have had to lose You would think that he held a a position of uh, prominence in the community. That would be lost. Um, His prestige would almost certainly be gone. Perhaps his riches as well. You remember that Jesus himself declared that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom with men he said it was actually impossible it would it would absolutely need to be a work of god but now the death of jesus and all that has come together to this point brings this man out of kind of the shadows and now into public identification with jesus and he requested he sought Pilate, verse 38, that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He therefore, he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. He desires to give it a proper burial. And then we read in verse 39 of another figure who comes forward to help. Verse 39 says, there came also Nicodemus and actually says to us again which at the first came to jesus by night and so that's connecting us uh, back into john chapter three when he you remember first asked jesus about his identity he refers to him as good master and no man can do these miracles that thou doest except god be with him so so can you you know, who are you tell me more Jesus said to him that Nicodemus, like every other man, was going to have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we actually don't have a record back in John 3 concerning the response of Nicodemus to that message. In John 7, we learn that he was still a participating member of the Sanhedrin. And again, he was one that offered some protest regarding the way they were handling the affairs of Jesus, but he did it on what, what we might call today procedural grounds. So we actually don't have a, a record of the precise point where Nicodemus responds with what we would refer to as a saving faith. So what you have in the picture of both of these men is they had both made some previous movement towards Christ, But up to this very day, and right up to this point, there was some question lingering as to just what the nature of their relationship was to him. However, at this point, they have counted the cost of being marked individuals for the rest of their lives. And now they choose public identification with Jesus. And it is a reminder to us, brethren, that God's work in people's lives is often a a process of small steps before um, responses become visible. The genuine work of God's grace in some hearts appears to be a slow process. But you can think about some contrasts even during this week. Judas, who we studied on Sunday evening, was initially bold, but fell completely away. Nicodemus was initially slow, but demonstrated measured growth and obvious growth. And it is a reminder to us not to look at the drama that may or may not accompany the profession but to continue to look for signs of growing in grace and in the knowledge of the lord and with these two men we now see this come out into open view and as we turn our attention back to the body and their care for it i do just want to have us note that that granting the body of jesus to joseph was contrary to custom the custom was for the government to give the bodies of criminals over to the next of kin unless they were involved in what would be called sedition and if the criminal was accused of of rebellion against the government and that was the case with all three of these crucified on this day. That body was then essentially dumped outside of the city in a common burial ground without any distinction, any honor, any remembrance. Now, now more could be considered from gospel accounts of the scene in regards to the, the, the care of the body, the details of the tomb. But I do want to draw your attention to this whole matter of the change of burial locations. Because that is significant in reference to another Old Testament prophecy. Turn with me back to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And verse number 8. Says he was taken from prison in judgment who shall declare his generation for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken again cut off on the cross to be the payment for our sin but now notice verse 9 and he made his grave with the wicked and i'll and i actually just pause here this the hebrew grammar here all of the scholars indicate would say more like um his grave was made as opposed to his making it. That is, what what they were preparing to do was to bury him with the wicked. And you can even see that his grave was made with the wicked. That was the appointed lot for his burial. But, instead, when he came to die, where was he actually buried? Notice verse 9. He made his grave with the wicked and with the what and with the rich in his death and then it goes on to say he had done no violence neither was any deceit in his mouth of course that is absolutely true from god's perspective and it's true but he died as a condemned criminal his appointed law in terms of the bearing of his body would have been with the wicked first part of the verse but on account of these actions of Joseph and Nicodemus, his body ends up being buried in a rich man's grave. And again, brother, I know that we're having to apply our minds a fair amount uh, to, to these phrases and in some cases to details, but, but we, can be, we can be almost certain, again, that Joseph and Nicodemus did not have Isaiah 53 in mind. Isaiah 53, verse 9, in particular, in mind. I mean, these are new converts, and to this point, they're behind the scenes converts. But the unseen hand of God, if you want to refer to it that way, is moving men behind the scenes. And a prophecy that's given here in Isaiah 700 years before is being fulfilled in amazing detail about the dead body of jesus and i want to remind us that as we're as we're spending our time focused on what's happening to the body that his burial the burial of his body is part of the gospel message we do tend to focus on events on either side on the cross as we remember this morning on the resurrection as we will do on the lord's day and and that is rightly so but the gospel includes the fact that not only did christ die for our sins according to scriptures and that he was raised again the third day according to scriptures but that he was what? Christ died for sins, the third, uh, Christ died for sins according to scriptures and was buried and was raised again the third day according to scripture. And we could give even more attention to the significance of the burial, but let me even just for time's sake this evening say that that this is the corn of wheat. This body is as the corn of wheat falling into the ground and dying so that a harvest might spring up. And all those that are listening today and contemplating these things that have placed their unreserved and exclusive trust in the full and finished work of Jesus are part of the ongoing harvest. Paul will go on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to make a definite connection between the resurrection of the body of Jesus and the resurrection of the bodies of believers united to Christ. His argument in 1 Corinthians 15 is that you can't have one without the other. If there's no bodily resurrection of Jesus, then there will be none for anyone else. I've mentioned Krumacher a couple of times now, but even about the burial. I want to cite his comments. Well for us that he was willing to pass through this dark passage on our behalf. Nothing hindered him from taking up his life again on the cross and and from returning from thence immediately to his father. But had he done so, our bodies would have been left in the grave in order to dispel this terror he took into consideration all our necessities and suffered himself to be laid in the grave before our eyes. His body was buried in the grave so that like ours, it might be raised again. And as we go about enjoying these next several days, let us remember that the king of heaven allowed his body to be put into the earth so that you and I might be confident of our resurrection and glorious eternal life. And brethren, let us also remember the power of the sovereign hand of God that can take the free acts of men, wicked men, In some cases, simple, unknowing, but believing men. And he can take the the free acts of all kinds of men and use those facts to confirm that Jesus was, in fact, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And you can see it in the fulfillment of prophecy down to the very detail. And brethren, this same sovereign God Will also take the free acts of men in your life. And certainly we're in unusual days. And there's an accumulation of. Of unknowns. And pressures. And in some cases some real disappointments. In other cases just even more painful realities. And God can take. The sovereign God will take. The free acts of men. Whether it's civil authorities. Maybe some other leadership in your life, perhaps unjust opposition, or even your own unknowing actions. And he can use them to accomplish his purposes in your life for your good and for his glory. And he gives us witness to that, even in the care of the body of his son, his body in the hands of his enemies, his body in the hands of his friends, but the sovereign God orchestrating to witness to his own greatness and to the preciousness of Jesus for us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you again. And we, we just marvel. In some ways, we... Have come to take some of the big themes of fulfilled prophecy that which is given in the Old Testament and and is really highlighted in the New Testament. We've we've taken some of those big themes almost uh, for granted, and the opportunity to consider some of these intricate details. What would happen to his bones? even the, the piercing of his side. And then the change of burial locations, Lord. I, I just marvel again at how you can superintend the decisions, the acts of the wicked, of the simple, believing, unknowing. You can take all these things and and you do orchestrate all those things preeminently to, again, show us that your Son, our Savior, is none other than the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But we thank you also that, that what you do in the life of Jesus and in the fulfillment of prophecy and in the display of your sovereign hand is additional witness to the fact that we can trust you with every day of our lives and every moment of our lives every season of our life we can trust you to fulfill your own purpose and your own plan and lord we pray that you would strengthen our faith in these in these in light of these truths again this evening in Jesus name we pray amen